Hi, welcome to the Book of Mormon Central Come Follow Me podcast with your hosts, Lynn Wilson and John Cho. Hi, Hi. nice to be with you again. Yeah, this week we're covering Job. Terrific book. Yeah. One of my absolute favorites. So there are three questions here that we always cover, right? How does this bring me closer to Christ? How does the Book of Mormon help me understand the Old Testament? And how does this help me live a more Christ-like life? Well, I certainly see the book of Job helping me draw closer to Christ and live a more Christ-like life, but I'm going to have to rely on you to help me find Book of Mormon <laughs> ties on this one. Good, good. I'm looking forward to your thoughts on that one. But it's such a beautiful piece of poetry. Um, yeah. I, so, so tell me about book, because we've gone through chronologically, Job stands out. It's different. Yeah. So we've gone through Kings. Well, everything right. from actually from the beginning has sort of been chronological up to this point. But we're still in the book of writings because the way the um, Hebrew Bible is organized, we have the Torah, the the law, and then the writings. And we're down to the end of the writings with the last four or five books, which they call wisdom literature. As so we've got Job, Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes as this wisdom literature part of the writings. And then we get to the prophets and the prophets will fit back in historically to this time. But um, historically, you know, we have to look for clues in the text to determine where it fits in. And the first thing that I noticed is that Job is actually offering sacrifices. Did, did you catch that? Yeah, not, not, I, I saw that, but not as this idea that it's... The, the, to time it. So to time it, yeah, he yeah, is, yeah. He is not um, post-Moses. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. pre, it's pre-Mosaic um, law. And the other, there's just a few little details that are pointed out. Um, did you notice the emphasis on, on how many animals he has? It's a probably right. an agricultural environment where they're looking at their wealth through the number of camels and the number of um, donkeys or whatever. Um, so that gives us a clue. However, it probably has been edited over time because I also noticed there was one reference of a steel bow. Mm. And we know they had steel bows in 600 BC. I've been to museums that have shown them, and we also have, there's our My Book of Mormon tie. There you go. 600 <laughs> BC, steel bow. Uh, but um, I think it, it almost everyone places it far earlier, you know, closer to Abraham than, than post-Moses. But most people scholars don't even think Job existed, that it's just beautiful poetry and that it's just a good philosophic um, or wisdom it's discussion. A, it's a parable. Of, a parable, a, yeah, of why good people suffer. But um, we're really blessed with the restoration to say, no, he he did he did live. And not only is he mentioned in the New Testament, but he's also mentioned in the Doctrine and Covenants. That's right. Um, and I feel like it, um, it's so clear that if the Lord is trying to comfort Joseph Smith and say, come on, you're not led as Job as he's there being feeling persecuted and and suffering in Liberty Jail in his Missouri year of 1838 or 1839, um, the Lord wouldn't say, you're not yet as Job if Job never existed. In fact, I, I loved one of the commentary. I, I don't remember which um, uh, general authority said it. But they said, I think it was Elder Holland, Saying you're not yet as Job is like saying you're not yet as Donald Duck or Peter Pan or something. You know, you're just using a fictional character is just stupid. You know, he wouldn't mm -hmm. be doing that. Um, but I certainly feel like the message that Job uses is everybody's message. Everyone who lives long enough is going to have to go through a period of suffering in their life and trying to understand why that happens and 
the conversations of becoming more empathetic is such a great thing to learn from. I, I think it's a fabulous book of scripture. And even just as a beautiful book of poetry, you know, um, it's a great thing to read that way. But I also see that as it testifies of Christ and we learn, I think one of my other reasons why I like it as the, in the restoration is we learn about more of the premortal existence. Right. It starts out in chapter one with this debate. And I have to just ask you, were you offended by God um, and Satan having this conversation? <laughs> I was when I was younger, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Because um, like, is he doing that with me? Am, am I am I someone's side bet? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I think uh, it's only understandable if we have it in the context of the council in heaven. In right. That premortal existence that we get in the Pearl Great Price in the book of Abraham where and and elsewhere but as part of the restoration when the lord said no we we gathered the host of heavens and i allowed agency and i allowed satan to tempt the children of of men um as part of our earth experience but i will endow you with greater blessings and greater opportunities to feel the spirit so that you can counterbalance the trauma that satan inflicts upon you but it is part of our mortal sojourn for, since the fall. That's yeah. I mean, I mean, this is really one of the best, um, especially in the Old Testament. Really, the personification of, of the adversary, right? Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that because uh, do you remember back in Genesis? I made a pretty big deal about the fact that Satan is removed. There's no mention From Genesis of and then Job, <laughs> and then in it. Job we have. 77% of all the references to Satan are here. The word Satan in Hebrew, Satan, is is Hebrew for adversary. Mm -hmm. And there, Satan is only mentioned 15 times in the Old Testament, and 11 of them are in Job. And the others are in First Chronicles and Psalms and Zechariah 1 each. But um, there, there's two in Chronicles. But, you know, four other references in the entire massive um, Hebrew Bible, and we have 15 of them here. And we really get to see who the adversary of the Lord is. And But God always prevails. God is always in charge. God tells Satan where his bounds are, and he may not pass from them. We still see Satan as a counterfeit usurper. Um, it's nice that we have the gift um, of the restoration to know that he is the fallen angel in mm the tempter in Isaiah and Genesis and you know, all these other names that people don't necessarily tie together. But this beginning opening introduction part is the only part that's prose. Well, that isn't true. The opening is prose for two chapter and then the closing last uh, 10 verses are prose, but the rest is all this beautiful cycle of poetry. Did you want to talk any more about this debate saying, are we allowed to have Satan inflict upon us? I think so. There's a couple small points I wanted to make that Please, go ahead. I, I'm tempted all the time, but the choices are mine, right? Yes. And so this is, you know, it, this is my, as I grew up, I learned to refine this thought a little bit, which I mentioned earlier. Um, like I said, the choices are mine. So, so it's certainly not the Lord, you know, yeah. but I'm absolutely put in certain situations where my character needs to be proven and regularly, daily, even, especially with the sheer amount of media that we have, right? Daily, right? And I also yeah. feel like when we're looking at ties to the Book of Mormon, what you just said is that there's going to be opposition in all things. And that is Second Nephi. I, That's I vital. Almost, it's I almost see this addition of the adversary as part of the plain and precious things which are taken out, which again, 
First Nephi tells us is going to is is what happened to the ancient text is and hardly would think of Satan as a plain and precious thing. But if you do not understand that there's going to be opposition or that God allows um, opposition in our lives, we're we're blaming God for a lot of things that we shouldn't be blaming God for. And I also think about ether where we are, you know, we're given weakness to be mm. humble. So, uh, and that oh. humility is vital such that we are Taken blessed. Taking to our knees. Yeah, blessed more, and of course, which of this happens. And so that, that humility oh, is so, so glad vital. you brought that out. Yeah. Our, and his, this weakness does become his strength and his compassion and empathy that he learns from here is going to bless um, the second half of his life, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's another reason why we think he's really old. He, what does he live? 240 or something? I mean, he lives a long time. And um, I think that just the fact that 210, 210, it's back in chapter 42, verse 15 or whatever. It says how many, how long he lives. And um, so he's 210 years old, which takes us back to the time period of, of pre-Abraham and, and earlier. Um, but that's really helpful to look at him in that context. Thank you. Um, before we dive into the text of the poetry, um, I love the fact that it's organized into these three cycles where you have Job pleading for understanding, you know, expressing his concerns. And then each of these three friends have a turn to respond to Job. And they respond, Job speaks, the next responds, Job speaks, the next responds. And then these, this cycle is repeated three times. But the third time, the third friend does not respond. A new person comes in and says, hey, I'm a young guy here. I wasn't speaking because you guys are all the elders. I was taking my place appropriately. But I'm now going to tell you what I think. And you guys never answer Job's questions. And this is what I think the answer is. And after several chapters, the Lord's cut him short and the Lord then gives his answer. And then we end with this double blessing of Job. And um, God really doesn't answer Job, but he teaches him what he needs to learn. So the answer is, what I should have said is, God does not answer Job in the way that Job was hoping to be answered, right. but he teaches him what he needs to learn. So I'm eager to jump in and see what that answer is and see what Job's questions are. You know, we've got these main characters. I'm glad we have a Mrs. Job here. She's she's mm -hmm. all over the place, um, at least three or four times I've counted. And then his three friends plus the fourth young friend. So Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, Elihu, and of course, our, our main character of Yahweh or Jehovah. And Job. But Job is described as just scrumptiously moral. You know, we've just right. left this time period where people have good and bad on all sides, just like the rest of us. But Job is just well, this, this, such a good guy. Yeah, this 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 stood out to me, you know, in this this most recent reading that Job is good when he's blessed, and this is sort of the premise, right? Mm -hmm. And having just read all of the things that are happening with Israel, like that's when they're, they're the worst is when they're blessed. Israel seems oh, to be really and hard Job to was stay even close. Good when he's blessed. But Job was also good when he was suffering. Now, sometimes exactly. he gets frustrated, but he never loses his faith and trust in God. So I just want to point out that Job was a good person, even in times of times of righteousness, which was not true for the rest of Israel. Or pretty the consistent. Book of Mormon. Our yeah. pride cycle kicks in pretty exactly. quick. Yeah, that's that's great. He remains humble. Any themes you want to talk about before? I keep wanting to get into the text because I so love it. Let's get into the text. Let's get the text. I think okay, the, themes, we'll just, will, the couple... themes will just come out of this retribution and and everything else. The stage is a grieving, whatever. Okay. Um, 
Okay, where's the land of Uz? We start out in Job chapter 1. He's a perfect man, at least in the King James, that translation. But um, in Hebrew, remember, it's whole or complete. He has great integrity, is other translations. Um, but it says he's from Uz. He fears God, meaning he honors or respects God. He's upright. You know, the author is trying as hard as he can to describe him um, with these great words. But he's from this land of Uz. Any any luck on finding out where that is? I, I couldn't find know. anything. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's referenced in Lamentations 421. And uh, the person Uz is mentioned really early in Genesis. Yeah, I've even got Chapter it. In, he's, um, there's a couple of places, Ezekiel and Genesis, but wherever it is, we'll find out that later. I, I Let's keep going. It sounds like he was, this is the prologue session. So it's just talking about his seven sons, and three daughters. Um, he's the greatest of all men in the East. That's verse three of chapter one. Um, and since it's in the East, I assume maybe the Arabian desert. I don't know, but it sounds like um, during a feast, when he's um, offering burnt offering in verse five, that um, things start changing. And we get this interjection here of this story about why Satan or an evil influence in our lives, you know, why this adversary can come and attack us. And it's this general predicament, I think, for each of us in our testimonies, because I see Job is almost having a trial of faith. Right. Saying, hey, I've done everything God told me. Why am I not happy? And I I come away with all of his sons are killed and his animals are taken. You know, everything is the chapter one ends up the burning of all the sheep. Um, and it talks about the, the area of the Chaldeans um, coming in and making out three bands in chapter 17. That's another reason why I think it's sort of in the Arabian Peninsula area. Maybe, possibly, but um, as his children are killed, I want to use that in the context of his wife saying, just curse God and die. She is in severe mourning, and I don't want to judge mm. Mrs. Job on that one statement. Let's look at some of the, her other statements later on as well. Um, but we see this problem even nowadays when people say, if I'm living the gospel, I'm supposed to be happy, but... I'm not happy. So what's wrong? And I see this is Job's question. I've right. done everything right. I'm supposed to be, I'm, I'm this perfect upright man. And yet I am in so much pain. I can hardly stand it. Did you see that? How Satan first kills everybody and he still worships God. Verse 14, Job fell down to the ground and worshiped. Naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Um, but then when Satan says, okay, I want to afflict his body. I want him to be enduring torture. I want painful boils all up and down. So he's already taken away the people that are important to him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's when his wife, I see her in this total grieving state and crying not only in her own pain, but pain for her husband. And that's when Job says, um, you know, you're speaking foolishly. Um, should we not accept, this is verse 9 and 10, should we accept from God only the good and not adversity? And 
Of course, um, she stays around. She supports him. She gives comments later. She does not leave. So I totally am glad that we've got a, an example of someone going through this stages of mourning or whatever. You know, this lamentation is horrific. But now we start the cycles of Job crying out, asking for help, and then the friend's response. Chapter 3, verse 35. This thing which I greatly feared is come upon me. And does that happen in your life? Sometimes the things we don't want are the things exactly yeah, that happen. So, so this is a lesson I've learned over and over again, luckily early, because it's, it's a lesson that I've used quite a lot to my benefit. The, the fear in my mind is usually bigger than the actual consequence. There, don't uh -huh. get me wrong, it's bad, uh -huh. whatever it may be. And so um, I can actually say, you know, here my worst fear has come true. Um, and the Lord gives him that and says, Yes, but you can get through it with my help, right? And I've absolutely mm -hmm. felt mm -hmm. that. Um, and so now, you know, having had several of those experiences, mm -hmm. you come out on the other side and like, I'm much more confident, more faithful in the Lord because it's not as um, scary, I would say. As you had right? feared. As I had feared. Basically, the Lord gave me the opportunity to be confident. In, and to grow through that. Yeah. Well, isn't that just like, I'm sure most of us have had that experience where we come out uh, being less lax or careless and being more conscientious, more yeah. humble, more contrite, what, whatever it was that was your challenge that you've had to live through. Um, but Job certainly um, doesn't get much support from his friends. Yeah. And I, this is a whole part of the trial too, though, well, I think. And it, it, it also, I love the fact that it teaches us not to say wickedness comes from sin. Elihaz is the first one who starts out. And he says, yeah. it's very clear to me um, that you are a sinner or else these things would not be happening to you. <laughs> and then the second friend says the same thing. And the third friend says the same thing. You know, you're afflicted um, because of your wickedness. And I, I just want to remind us that sometimes the very best people are tried the hardest so that the purification and the as you just shared by that example by yourself, the Lord's um, challenges take us to our knees and then we can draw on his strength and we become stronger through the Lord's blessing of his atoning sacrifice, helping our sorrows as well. And by joining ourselves more deeply with the atonement of Jesus Christ, we become better people. It's um, I, I, I haven't gone through very many trials. I don't think four cancers and going blind and having challenging children um, is as bad as what other people have gone through. But I do feel that I am so grateful for every one of them yeah. because every one has made me trust the Lord more in my life. Every one um, has brought me to my knees in a way that um, my normal lax life of enjoying life as it comes wasn't doing. Um, so... Even though I'm sorry that Job had to suffer and I'm sorry that um, a lot of mortals have to suffer, I hope that we can take the Lord's advice and come unto him and share his yoke during these times. But these friends. <laughs> Let's go back to the friends. Oh, yeah. Um, Got to get better friends. <laughs> well, it's interesting because initially it sounds like he has a fabulous family. It talks about his his Job sisters are great and they're all gone. I don't know what, you know, nobody helpful is there right now. 
I'm sure it's part of poetical license, you know, but I do think philosophically they're going through what the at the time they thought were the best ways to think through challenges in life. And if you can change something, it'll get better. But poor Job, you know, he keeps I I have a chart so I can see who's speaking where. But in chapter six, it's back to Job. He says, oh, that my grief were thoroughly weighed and that my calamity laid in the balances together. Um, It's heavier now than it was before you guys showed up, you know. So the friends stay with him, but it's not helpful. He he wishes they'd leave. Um, Yeah, then it get worse. And he wants to even die. Look at verse eight and nine. Um, Oh, that I might have my request and that God would grant me this thing that I long for, even that it would please God to destroy me. You know, he's in so much pain. He's pleading that the Lord would just take his life. Um, But that's not in the Lord's plan. And um, so many times I think the Lord wants us to, it's harder to live than it is to give our life. And um, that's what he's asking Job to do here. Jumping down to um, chapter 7, I really appreciate Job's opening line there. Is there not an appointed time to man on earth? You know, God knows when we're born. God knows when we're dies. It is in God's hand. Let's, let's not, um, let's trust in him. I see Job undulating between moments of excruciating pain and, and times of rational thought. And this is one of those rational thought. My, my time is appointed. I will live my best in the time that God has given me. Do you have any favorites? Um, For through this part? Yeah, these these the part where the friends speak, the cycle number one, cycle number two. I um, I, I think there is just a small thing. I, I, I'm trying to put myself in the friends spot, like you said, right? Okay. Like they kind of go through the wisdom of the time. And for me... <laughs> Obviously, it's horrible, right? It makes yeah. things worse. So, you know, to make me feel better, that is absolutely a proxy for the the, the wisdom of man, right? Yes, it I is. think I'm trying to help you, and you're just making it worse, <laughs> right? Um, oh, isn't that so true? The wisdom of man, and I, we learn in a very famous phrase in the church um, that Satan uses scriptures that are heavily doused in the philosophies of man. You know, he, he changes the scriptures to be doused, and that's exactly what we find here. They're trying to use human thought, which is unfortunately the adversary. Did you want those chapters? Do you want me to share those where the cycles begin and end? Yes, yes, it, that, that would help. So the first round of dialogue charts in chapter 4 with Eliphaz, and then Job, and build that in Job, and Zophar in Job. And then the second round begins in chapter 15, with the three friends. And then the third round starts in chapter 22. So um, chapter 14, Job is responding at the end of this first round. And he asks the question, then he answered it himself. When man dies, will he live again? And then he says, all the days of my hard service. I'm obviously reading a different translation than King James. All the days of my hard service, I will wait until my renewal comes, I will call and I will answer. Or you will call and I will answer. You will desire the work, you meaning God, of course. You will desire the work of your hands, for then you will count my steps, but would not count, keep track of my sins. You know, in our generation, we count our steps. I count my steps every day. You know, we have watches, we have phones, we, we count our steps. 
He says, God, you're counting my steps, but you're not going to keep track of my transgressions. I, I think I think of the, you know, scripture about hair on your head. He, he yeah, knows. I, I know the number of uh, yeah. hairs on your head. He's yeah. paying attention. He's, he's I, I think so, that's so I think that's so important. Especially Job saying this, he's gone through this and he's, he's got this little well, renewal that's why testimony, He doesn't right? understand. If you know how many steps I have, why are you letting me sit here in pain? I don't understand. Yeah. So I, I think that there's, the Lord's attentive. He, he has the faith that the Lord isn't, hasn't forgotten him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right. Because mm-hmm. um, that's sometimes what it feels like, right? You mm-hmm. know, Joseph had this, where's the pavilion, right? Where are you? I think there's a lot of correlation between that experience yeah. in Liberty Jail and Job's experience here, except he doesn't have his friends attacking him. But as far as the mental anguish of where are you? Why aren't you answering my prayers? And in Job's situation, it wasn't as much, I mean, excuse me, in Joseph Smith's situation, it wasn't as much his physical pain and the loss of his um, wife and family members rather than the saints are having to suffer. Yes, he was suffering, but his major emotional concern was for the saints at that time. And but Job, I see these glimmers of his of his faith just so encouraging. I'm just going to finish up in Job 14, 16. My transgression would be sealed in a bag and you would cover my iniquity. Remember the word cover is atone, kafar in Hebrew. So you will have a you will atone for my iniquity. Um so I realize I'm not perfect, but it's it's so important to have that perspective that we get in Liberty Jail when the Lord tells Joseph, all these things will give the experience and be for thy good. I feel like there's three or four nuggets that we can hold on to during times of trial. And um, I remember the second time I had another episode where my optic nerves started deteriorating and I couldn't see again. And it was, it's gone. Once your optic nerves are gone, they're gone. They're, right. they're not going to be rebuilt. And I was sobbing my eyes out. <laughs> and I just repeated that phrase over and over. All these things will give the experience and be for thy good. And I know that that is the Lord's plan. And here Job in chapters 15 and 16, 17, he's learning how not to be a friend. I do not want to be a friend like this. I want to show empathy. I want to show compassion. Um, you know, his friends say, I'm looking at, at, again, at Eliphaz here in chapter 15, thy mouth uttereth thine iniquity, thine own mouth condemneth thee. You know, they have no ability to listen. They skip down to verse 10 in chapter 15. Um, they say that they are older than Job's father, that the, Job is not showing respect to their wisdom because they are the elder. And so I don't know how old Job was. He obviously had been able to father 10 children. So he's probably at least 40, but maybe not. And whatever, however old he is, um, they are thinking that he is not respectful enough. Um, So poor Job's answer in chapter 16, miserable comforters are ye all. (laughs) Shall vain words have an end? Yeah. And then skipping down to verse 20 in the same chapter 16, my friend's scorn me. My eyes pour out tears to God. And I think emotionally he's suffering now more than he was physically by the end of this, you know. Right. I I love even going ahead to chapter 19. Have pity on me. This is verse 21. Have pity upon me. Oh, my friends, for the hand of God hath touched me. 
He's still giving God credit for all this. Um, Oh, let's go back to verse 17. This is where I say that his wife is still with him because he says, my breath is strange to my wife. (laughs) So uh, as the halitosis changes with different illnesses, we begin smelling differently and he's affected by that. But this same chapter, just the next verse, verses down, Job chapter 19, verse 25 is my favorite part of the whole book of Job where he testifies so boldly, for I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Not only Handel, but our other hymns too have used this beautiful phrase from Job in his depths of pain and, and sorrow he still will trust in his God. And did you see right there where he says, I shall see God? I um, so love at the very end of the book where the Lord does answer him. And he says, my ears have heard you, but now my eyes have seen you. So in chapter 19, it sort of prophetically um, looks forward to that time when he will see the Lord in his flesh. And I always had thought that that referred to the resurrection. But in Job's case, it happens at the end of his suffering, he is blessed with that opportunity to see the Lord. As we go through the rest of these cycles and look at the um, answers, I I just want to look at this third cycle, at the end of the third cycle, when we have this new young friend coming in. And saying, okay, these these old guys have done a terrible job. No one's answered your questions at all. His name's um, Elu or something like that. What chapter is this? 34 to 36 is Elu's answer. And it, he really addresses the problem with thinking that this life is for happiness is that you, have, you can't endure trials without realizing that this is a period of probation and trial. He really... Elu does a good job of contrasting the moral weaknesses with God's greatness. He does a good job of saying, I have ascribed my righteousness to my maker, you know, Um, but he still falls short. I'm looking at chapter 36, verse 11 here. If they, or I'm going to say we here, obey and serve God, um, then we'll spend our days in prosperity, in our years of pleasure. That's, that's just, that's just false. If we think, um, no, if if I'm in depression, I'm doing something wrong. No, not necessarily, um, but you can do something to help. Yes, by all means, let's start um, everything we can to help. But but don't think that this life is just a life of happiness. I think there's a key word there, which is their years and pleasures. This is in contrast to if you keep my commandments, you shall prosper. Oh, right? interesting. So for me, prospering is not pleasure. There's a difference there's a very real difference. Um, it doesn't even have to be financial, does it? No. Prosper can talk no. about our growing spiritually and our grounding. I, our I think that's ultimately what it is, because because prospering financially is all relative anyway, right? You know, it, it means nothing to the Lord. It mean, means nothing to the Lord. Uh, even doesn't mean very much to you. Um, it's just whatever's uh, abnormally compared to your peers is usually how we kind of count prospering. But that that changes. I mean, look at modern yeah, living versus which town versus you're living ancient. in. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, or even time time period you're living in. Of course, in. yeah. But the, for me, prospering absolutely means having a relationship with the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. That is by far 
the greatest treasure. And if I don't have that, you know, and a very big mansion, you're oh, not happy. Oh, John, I love that. And if, so if you keep my commandments, you will draw closer to me. You will prosper. You will prosper have in your relationship with God, the John. Relationship I love with the Holy that. Ghost, which is by far the biggest treasure. I've, I've, I've seen lots of empty mansions, and they're not happy. Right, that they're prospering, but not really. And you know, I've seen very poor people, smiles on their faces, and you know, very well. I don't say it's well adjusted. You know, content. John, right? your wisdom is greater than your years. For a young man, you are very wise. That's well, great. You. Yeah. We finally get to the Lord's answers, and they are so fun. Job chapter thirty-eight to forty-two, verse six are all this beautiful poetry of God's answers. And it's sort of interesting that the Lord first wants to put him in his place. You know, he gives him all these examples of letting him know, I am the creator. And do you know, um, who were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? When the morning stars sang together? Again, we have pre-mortal. Again, yeah. this is yeah. the best book in the entire Old Testament to teach <laughs> premortal. You know, as Christians, we are the only Christian church that believes in a premortal existence of of an ain't humans, you know, that we lived before. So this is just terrific. Where were you when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy? Um, but the Lord turns after this verse four and verse seven there. Um, in chapter 38 to say, okay, Job, do you know when these calves are going to have their kids? And do you know when, or these goats are going to have their kids or whatever, you know, he goes through all these animals, all through these natural disasters and, um, poor Job, after listening to the Lord and humbling himself before God answers in chapter 40, verse three, I am vile. And then I skip down. I will cover my mouth. You know, he just thought, oh, how could I ever have suggested that God was not coming at my beck and call, that when I demanded an answer, he didn't answer immediately. You know, what was I thinking? Why was I so assured of myself? Why was I thinking that I was in charge of God rather than me serving God? Uh, this, this is such an important thing that I think we all have to learn. I hear this in general conference talks all the time. The Lord is not a answering service, right? <laughs> you know, that's not what prayer is. Yeah, it's our responsibility Such to serve him. Prayer. And let's not remember in our prayers that I want this, 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 and this, and it's I'd not, like it to say. It's not DoorDash. You know? Yeah, right? yeah. We we forget <laughs> who's who's the master and who's the servant here. And and poor Job in chapter 40, verse 3 learns it, and 4, or learns it really quickly. And then I really appreciate the Lord's answer again. Look, look at verse 7. Um, the Lord answers him, Wilt thou condemn me? that thou mayest be righteous. So many times when my friends have told me I'm mad at God because they didn't help me in this situation or where was God when I needed him or um, some serious, terrible, abusive situations, people have said, why didn't God save me? Um, I see this is the answer. Will thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? You know, not that God isn't going to give empathy and sympathy to Job, but let's not, let's just remember who's running the show here. I think what he's, what he's, what I'm hearing when he says that is like, this isn't helping. <laughs> yes. This is not That's helping. That's not going to help this, you. This is a reflex, but this is not a... Wise. It's not going to draw you closer to me. Yeah. It's not going Anger to help Anger is only going to get you closer to the devil, uh, the adversary. But did I, I love looking at the questions that God asks, starting in 41. Because um, if humanity 
is one of the Lord's sacred creatures. Um, can we stand before God? And I just see these questions that he's asking us. He's asking us to trust in his wisdom. Just don't just look at things from the mortal perspective. Don't just take a bird's eye view. I need you to take a galactic view and say, I can trust God. I see God's order in his universe. I see that God has made worlds without number. I will suffer. I will trust him even if it means I have to suffer. And I see his questions trying to lead us to understand that his wisdom is greater than man's wisdom. Even if we do not understand it yet, anything that happens from God's hand, I will receive on bended knee with a bowed head. And I think that's just about where the Lord comes to him. Um, you know, God uses these symbols of disorder and danger in the people sometimes translate some of these words with great big animals. Um, <laughs> they try to decide what these animals are, you know, the unicorns or whatever. But I wanted to skip ahead to the throne theophany in chapter 41, verse 5 and 6. Um, now my eyes seeth thee, wherefore I abhor myself and repent. I am so grateful that the Lord showed himself to Job at this time. He could have just waited until the resurrection. But um, if we do believe in opposition to all things, if Job had been face to face with satanic influences, the Lord then allowed him to see himself. And I believe that that is still the case, that the Lord still appears to those who need to testify of him and are the prophets of God male and female. I think I love this word repent in this context mm. because, you know, we look at this book and he hadn't, he hadn't done anything wrong, you know, per se. He just vaunted himself saying, why, why, why? Why, which I think is appropriate, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely ask why. Um, but the Lord put him in circumstances, again, going back to Ether, where he was humbled. And in this case, repenting, I think, is in true form with the definitions that we refine of just drawing closer to the Lord. And he also felt that his suffering was divinely given, and yeah. it may have just been the consequence of having an adversary on our earth. Too. Yeah. You know, I don't know. We'll understand yeah. that better in the next life. But um, So he acknowledges his, his weakness, mm -hmm, right? And, mm -hmm. and draws closer to the Lord with a contrite spirit and yeah. broken heart. It's another view of the fairness as we look at the divine thinking, you know, is it fair? I don't know. But the fairness that I see is that God rewards Job with twice as much of everything. You know, now he's got 14,000 sheep, yeah. 6,000 camels. and But his children are the same. Seven mm. more daughters and three more sons. So eternally, he'll have double the posterity. Um, so only from a um, understanding of the life hereafter with families being sealed, do we see that. But in... I love the way Job not only treated his daughters initially, but look at here in verse 42. I think this is another reason why I believe that this is a very ancient book, because Job is so good with his understanding of men and women's relationships. He says in verse 15, there were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. Not the law of Moses, where it only goes to the men. This is the ancient world, and Job is a fair man and says, all of my posterity will receive land. And um, 
I appreciate not only God's perspective in this, but I appreciate the fact that Job is really a perfect and upright man, and I can see that in his the way that he deals with the women in his life as well. Yeah, thank you. Such a great book. I just great love book. it. May God bless you. Yeah. And look forward to the book of Psalms, Psalms next week. Psalms is next. Great. Thank you. Bye-bye.